song that really gets because it brings me back to when I first got saved, the moment I first believed, and I know where I was spiritually, emotionally, in sin, and I remember the hope and the strength and the direction, and I never, ever, ever want to lose the value of that reality. Amen. You know, we have to be brought back often to remember exactly what Christ has saved us from and to realize, I don't know if you guys, if anybody's struggling here with the world, the flesh, and the devil, if it hadn't been for that first moment, we'd be a lot worse off. I'm telling you right now. 25, 26 years walking with the Lord, God only knows what could have been. Amen? So as bad as we think it might be, it's not. It's not. Habakkuk, we're going to finish today. And uh, quite excited about this message, as you can tell. You see me jumping up and down. But uh, I will let you know, the message really does apply to everybody here, like every message does. If you are a believer, the message applies to you. If you're not a believer, the message is implied to you as a means of salvation. But the word always applies, but there's something about this prayer, uh, but we're going to read here in chapter 3 when we get there. Uh, what I'm going to do first, go against my normal way of preaching, where I read the text. I want to give you a little background into these 19 verses. So when we read the 19 verses, you can see it more clearly, and it will mean that much more to us. Amen? Amen. As we come to the end of this prophetic book regarding ancient Israel... Uh, the end of which holds out to us a picture of deep faith. We're going to see deep abiding faith, a resting faith in the sovereignty of God. How does that sound? How would your life be today if you walked into this building today with a deep faith, a faith in the sovereignty that God is in absolutely full control of every avenue of your life and of this world? That's what we're going to see today. It's a faith that all the righteous are called to live by as we develop this faith. But it's also developed. I want you to know you didn't get it when you were saved. You got salvation when you were saved. This kind of faith is a developing faith. It's a quality of trusting in God in the most challenging of times. I will show, what the text will show is a couple of pictures that help capture the reality of Habakkuk's inner life. I really want to capture the inner life, this transform transformation of faith in Habakkuk's life. From a life of faith and frustration and turmoil due to a lack of understanding. It's, it's a, in his younger life, it was a, a life of faith and frustration. And it was based on a lack of understanding on the sovereignty of God. To a life of faith and tranquility and peace brought about by the word of God. I want to show you a couple of pictures. Can we put the the first picture? This is a picture of me <laughs> before I had a cup of coffee in the morning. All right, just before my or me after four cups of coffee in the morning, one or the other. But this is Habakkuk in chapter one. He's a man of frustration. He's a man crying out, "Where is God?" This is a man that looks around the political scene. All he sees is injustice. He's crying out for God. This is a man that thinks God is indifferent to human suffering, 
that he doesn't see corruption, he doesn't see violence, he doesn't see the, the law or the gospel being distorted. This is a man saying, God, why are you idly standing by? Why you make my eyes see wickedness? This is Habakkuk in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 3 is a little different. We go from a man all caffeined up to a decaf. This is me on decaf, all right? But this is, this is chapter 3. I don't want you to miss it. This is chapter 3. How sweet does that look? That's better than the Corona commercial. Understand something. This is Habakkuk in chapter 3 after God revealed to his prophet who he really was. This is the inner life of the man of faith. This is you and me as we go through the learning curve of learning just how incredible God is in our life. We go from picture one. Can we see it again? A picture's worth a thousand words. Does that represent anybody here today that are in a life? All right. I see a couple of hands and feet raised. All right. And then we go to this, a transformation of understanding the word of God. And this is what it does to us, all Christians, as we go through the, walking through the, the life of faith, we go up and down, we go back and forth sometimes. We all know the great peace, but we all also know the great frustration. Well, in chapter 3, this is the picture we have. We have a man who went from crazy to a man who's transformed on the inside. These pictures really capture the transforming power of knowing God rightly. You see something? Habakkuk knew God even in a personal way through the covenant. But he did not know Habakkuk. Habakkuk did not know God in an experiential way. In his inner man. But this is what he was going to get from God. Our text takes us. Our text takes an unusual turn here in chapter 3. It becomes an actual prayer. So when we get to chapter 3, it is a prayer. It's a prayer of Habakkuk. It's a prayer set to music. It's not just any prayer. All of a sudden, he turns into a psalmist. It's a hymn. It's a song. And it's meant to capture the inner transformation of peace and trust that Habakkuk experienced by a revelation of God. That God is in where? His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It's like when you're watching a good drama that has you on the edge for most of the movie. Then we know something good's going to happen because what? The musical tone has changes. You know, your, your, your heart's in your mouth and you just know, I hate those kind of movies. I hate them. Just to let you know. But all of a sudden, the tone changes and you know something good is going to transpire from this moment on. That's what's happening in this book. That's what's happening in chapter 3. The score of the musical of the movie has just changed. And the music is ushering in a a flow of hope. And you can see it. You can capture it. From heavy and dark to being lighthearted. Music creates mood and storylines often move upon these emotional triggers. That's what music does in movies. It's called the score. From a scary, uptight, heart in your mouth to a lighthearted and easy. Terry likes to watch movies. There's certain things I cannot watch. I, I refuse to watch 
any child or woman violated and, 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 and violence like that, I, I can't watch it. Now, who in their right mind would watch Law and Order SUV? All right? There's a bad example. But the point is, I can't watch. We're watching a Hallmark movie the other day, and all of a sudden it goes into this dark. I said, turn it off. Turn it off. I can't. Hallmark. Hallmark, I said, turn it off anyway. <laughs> but you understand, I'm trying to really capture the mood of chapter three. We have gone from a frustrating, where is God? My inner life is being turmoil to uh, uh, the whole thing is changing now. And this man is a restful, peaceful believer. And he sets it to music because if you read it without the music and knowing that it's set to musical instrument, you can see Habakkuk or maybe someone else just playing on an instrument, the string instrument, looking up and just floating around saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My life is falling apart, but praise the Lord. He's got his music and, you know, all right, enough, Habakkuk. But it really does set the stage for what's going to take place here. And that's what's happening in our text. So I want you all, we're going to read our text in a little while. But as we go through it, read it like you're watching a movie of someone's life being changed by the word of God. As it testifies about God himself. Listen to how Habakkuk recites the mighty deeds of God and brings this inner peace into him. It testifies to God in his past actions, how he saved Israel from all her enemies, his mighty defeats, using nature itself as an aid. Listen to how he writes it. Most likely he's writing about the plagues of Moses, the deliverance out of Egypt, the wilderness wanderings, uh, and the conquest of the land of Canaan under Joshua's ministry. So let's listen in while we read. Listen to Habakkuk's inner transformation from a complaining prophet of telling God how to run his world to a broken man, humbled by God's word, now ready for anything God says. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Let's read our text. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. God came from... Before I go on, I will paraphrase a little bit so you can capture what's taken place historically. God came from Timon and the Holy One from the Mount of Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Everybody can see the, the cloud at night, the cloud in the day and the, the, the sun at night. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed his heels under Moses' ministry. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. And the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. 
Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the Red Sea? When you rode on your horses and your chariots of salvation? You stripped the seat from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted up its hand on high. The sun and the moon, the sun and the moon stood still in their place under Joshua's ministry. At the light of your arrows they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You thrust the nations in anger as you went through the land of Canaan under Joshua and Caleb. You went for, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed, the apple of your eye, Israel. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of the warriors who came out like a whirlwind into the desert to get us before we went into the Red Sea to scatter us, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of the mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit bear in the vines, the produce of the olive veil, and the fields yield no fruit, food, the flock be cut off in the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. We'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've done in this man's life over 3,000 years ago. That is the very same processes that are taking place in our life through the difficulties we go through, God. Both the righteous in Habakkuk's day and Habakkuk himself had to live by this one principle. Even me today and everybody here. The righteous shall live by his faithfulness. Faithfulness in you, God. Faithfulness in your promises and the power of your promises, Father God. Promises past and promises yet to come, Father God. We live faithfully and we wait, Father God, rejoicing in, in silence sometimes, waiting for you, Father. Encourage our hearts. Everybody in this room is waiting for something. and We feel the pain of living in a sinful world, Father God. So help us, Father God. Help us to enter into this transformation of Habakkuk in chapter 3. Give us understanding we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go to our text. I'm going to comment on six verses that show us what has taken place here. It shows us his response to God, what God spoke to him in the first two chapters. And there is some reciting as I try to uh, animate it as much as possible of, uh, of the exodus under Moses, under the wilderness wanderings, and under going into the land of Canaan, which most of those verses speak about. And how he recited it. He remembered the awesomeness of God. And if God said something about his life then, all he had to do was go into the text and realize God is always faithful to what? 
His word. He's always faithful to his word. So the six verses I'm going to speak on first uh, two right now. We can put that up there. I think it's two. Yep. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is a believer that heard. Can you say, I heard? I heard. Are you sure you heard? Okay. What he heard was this. He finally understood it from its theological significance concerning God's sovereignty over all human history, all personal history, and all current world politics. That's what he meant. I heard God. I heard finally, I finally perceive it, I understand it, not intellectually, not with a mental ascent, but experientially, I know you are in control of my life, of the nation of Israel's history, of all human history. You raise a nation, you lower a nation, you raise a king, you lower a king. I have heard the report of you, God. It'll never change your word faced me, it confronted me with your character, with your attributes, you are creator you are redeemer, let all the earth be silent before you that's what he heard that's what he heard this is not a man that heard and couldn't wait to get out of the service to get something to eat or to smoke a cigarette This is a man that heard and he stood almost condemned with himself saying, how did I ever doubt God? How did I ever say, God, do you idly stand by and watch? How dare me bring an accusation against God? I've heard. Your words confronted me. I see it clearly in scripture. What you're telling me, I see now. You did it under Moses' ministry. You did it under Joshua's ministry. You did it under David's ministry. And you'll be faithful today. Think about that kind of faith. He goes on to say, your work, Lord, do I fear. That's the proper result of hearing When we hear properly, that's the proper result. It's cause and this is the effect it has on you. It was grace that taught. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Your work, Lord, not just you, Lord, but your work, your ways in this world, whatever you say goes with me. I fear it, God. I tremble at the thought that you would have to crucify your son for my sin. I tremble to think it caused Christ to come and bring me salvation. At your work, O God, do I tremble and fear. I've heard the report. I hear the awesomeness. I finally see it with my own eyes of faith. Experientially, I know you're in absolute full control. Who am I to even think to question you? I fear your ways. The proper result is brokenness and humility. Along with a willingness to obey. 
How do we hear the preaching of the gospel? Is it changing? Is it transforming us the way it does to Habakkuk? Are we really hearing the theological truth that's being expressed? Do we understand what the Exodus is trying to tell us about humanity? Do we understand the significance of building the holy temple to see how incredibly holy God is? Do you understand that you read Leviticus and you say, what are all these rules and regulations? Do you understand that only points to the holiness and righteousness of God? Do you understand that? It's not just a book. It's a report of God and his character. Have you heard what he said? Do we fear what we hear? Are we broken? Good preaching, good Bible devotion, good fellowship, good prayer. Growing in Christ is a constant being broken on the inside and being humbled. So that God removes those accusations. So why is this happening to my life accusation? We're all good for that one. Oh, here we go again, accusation. God doesn't love me. Oh, I don't feel God. Where is God? And we, we, we murmur, and what do we do? We complain to God. We all do it. Who, who here hasn't done it in the last hour? One honest voice. I love that young man. Praise God. Constantly breaking us on the inside. I don't know about you, but I constantly have to saturate my mind with this kind of understanding and get a good look at myself. Because that's what he's saying here. Your word do I fear. I almost loathe myself, God, on how I thought about you before you revealed yourself in a deeper way to me. How did I ever think you weren't concerned? How did I ever doubt your goodness towards Israel or my own life? He goes on to say, revive this work, this work that he fears, that he heard about, revive it. If fear is the proper result, revive is the, the proper response. This, you knew, you, this new humility of heart and mind brought about by a proper understanding leads naturally to intercession. I understand now, God. I've heard it. It brings me fear that you're going to judge your ancient people, Israel, by a more wicked people. Your ways are beyond my understanding and my comprehension. God, the only thing I can do is in wrath. Please, oh God, remember mercy. He got that from Moses. Moses, I can stamp out all these people now and raise up a new generation from you. Oh God, do not. For what will the people do? What will the nations think that you could not deliver your people, Israel? And he intercedes. He knew about the coming judgment. A broken man, properly fearing God from the inside out, recognizing that you can't, the only thing you can do now is enter into the work of God and ask for salvations. 
In wrath, remember mercy. He cries out in wrath. That means judgment of Israel for her sins and apostasy. He says, remember mercy. Mitigate the anger, the severity of it, Father God. I've read reports where you would come in and you would mitigate the severity of the judgment, God. Make it less severe. Save others. Have compassion in the midst of wrath. Please, God, show compassion. Where the song captures the mood of the transformation of his heart, this verse captures the heart of everything. It's interesting. In 19 verses, all a prayer, this is the only appeal made to God. There's no other appeal made to God except have mercy. There's no other appeal left. There's no other appeal more important. Nothing else can be said. Can't add anything to it. A prayer of 19 verses, and the only thing he can say is have mercy. Have mercy. That's all that's left. After God, the just God has spoken about divine judgment, After the just God has spoken about divine judgment and a believer hears for the first time with the proper understanding, he's driven to brokenness, to fear, humility, and intercession. How do we save by God's grace and not pray for other people? How do we not pray for other people? How do we not pray? Someone stand up and say, Brian, this is how we don't pray. The floor is open. How do we not pray? If you think the judgment on Israel in the time of Habakkuk was going to be severe, please understand when we understand the woes and the bowls that are coming out of heaven right now as he opens up the seals. Woe to you, all the earth, for Satan has come down to you in wrath, for he knows his time is short. But yet, we go about life not praying for anybody. I ask you and me, how's our witness? Your witness for others will be as strong as your prayer for others. Simple as that. I don't have to say another word. He who prays for others will speak to others. It's simple. He who prays for others and speaks to others, prays for others because he heard the report. He's feared the work of the Lord and he's asking God to revive it in the midst of a coming judgment. Have mercy, God. Have mercy. This is a man that went from complaints and accusations to a man who's broken and crying for mercy. Verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. These body metaphors of fear really capture 
the humanity of Habakkuk the believer. Their real emotional experiences, psychological pain has taken place. Read it again. My body trembles. My lips quiver. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. His whole body knows the day of trouble is coming. He heard the word of God. He didn't say, oh, peace, peace, when there is no peace. He heard the report of God. I'm coming to judge Israel by a more wicked nation. So much so that his whole body was caught up in tremors. His lips quivered. Rottenness entered his bone. He hated what he heard, but he heard the truth. Just because he humbled, he was humbled and willing now. And faith is strengthened. And he sees clearly. Listen to me. Don't miss this. Believe this. Don't miss this when you're praying for your family. When you're being persecuted on your jobs. When you see the nation of America going down fast. When you see the politics of America changing. You see the Christian church going to be under attack. Remember this. It doesn't mean that we're superman status. Even because you have strong faith, it still hurts. He hurts. He heard it. He believed it. He heard the report. He saw it. But he felt the pain because he's a human being like the rest of us. Even the Christ said himself, God, if you can remove this cup, nevertheless, thy will be done. Knowing the truth is not like, praise God. (laughs) Yeah, judgment's coming. Yeah, praise God. Get the tambourine, you know. (laughs) Knowing the truth sets a man free, but that doesn't mean it's a painless freedom. There's burden. There's reality. It hurts. It hurts. He knows the day of trouble, but he says, I'm going to wait. I'm going to quietly wait for the day of trouble. How many of us here, if you knew, this is what he's saying. Remember, this is the eve of destruction. National calamity is only moments away. And we got a man who was complaining, who is now sitting in, in, in this nice isolation, this tranquil place saying, I'll quietly wait. I've heard his report. I'm going to ask him to revive it. I'm a broken, crushed man. Who am I to complain to God about his ways? I'm going to quietly wait here, though my lips are quivering, though I got the rottenness in my bones, though I got fears everywhere, I'm still going to wait quietly for the day of trouble. It's one of the great pictures of strong faith being expressed with human emotion. They go, they walk side by side. I'm going to quietly wait. Though I feel the pressure of it. Like the Son of God sweating in Gethsemane. Drops of blood. He felt the pressure in Gethsemane. The wine press of Gethsemane. He can feel the pressure. But yet he could also say, get up and rise. And go to the cross. Life is hard as a believer. And just because we know the truth doesn't mean God removes his hand. Sometimes that pressure, we need that pressure to transform our life. I'm going to tell you right now. Without the pressure of God in your life and my life, you know what we'd be? 
spiritually indifferent and couch potatoes. All we would be was go to church and we'd be like the nation of Israel, worshiping God with their mouth, but their hearts were far from Him. And we'd come to church and we'd expect God to clean up all our stinking messes because life is about us and it's not about the plan of redemption and the kingdom of God come. God, let Brian Martin's kingdom come. I went to church today. I paid up the half hour of debt. Here I am. Take care of me. Not Habakkuk. He was chastised into understanding a proper view of God. But now he's also a man that can quietly wait for the day of trouble. Preach that today in a lot of churches. Really preach that. If you want to clear the church out. People don't want to hear about the day of trouble. They want to hear about everything's going to be good, right? Everything's going to be good. Come to my church, you'll live forever. Come to my church, you'll never get sick. You don't need a doctor. And I don't mean that. How can I say it? That, that's not derogatory. That's true. I say that very true from a brokenness. Some preachers only preach maybe 10% of the Bible. They've got to stay away from a text like this. They have no understanding of the sovereign God. And I'll get into that in the application, the danger of that. But he says, I will wait quietly. Another great picture here, but this is a picture of the inner man now. Who knows the truth with its painful realities. His lips are quivering. He feels the rottenness in his bones. He knows the painful realities of it, but he has an inner peace. But like Jesus, it's nevertheless, no matter how hard it is to hear, he will submit a humble spirit to God who knows best. Period. I will wait quietly to God who knows best. Trouble is coming. Corrective trouble that will bring God's people back into proper relationship with him. And at the same time will eventually bring judgment on a nation that invades Israel. He is satisfied that the wicked who swallow up people more righteous than him will one day meet their maker. See, we want to see things taken care of today on this planet. Every injustice done to us. I want an answer. I want an apology. I want want it to be taken care of now. But there is a day of divine ultimate justice. Where every wrong done will be vindicated. And that's what he's saying here. He says, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble. Because I know you told me already that the nation that's invading us, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the brutal people that you're raising up to judge Israel, one day they'll be judged. And that's good enough for me, God. I heard the report. I heard the report. That's fine. That's good enough for me, God. My question is answered. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked... Swallow up the man more righteous than he. He finally says it's okay. I I finally understand God. I heard the report of you. Nobody gets away with anything. He goes on to say here. Verses 17 and 18. Listen to this faith. The day of trouble is coming. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, 
and there be no hurt in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Do you understand the, the, the agricultural metaphors that are taking place here? Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about when the Babylonians come on Jerusalem and lay siege to it. You know what happens when a nation would lay siege to a fort or a city? They starve to death. And that's what he's saying. Read Lamentations. Lamentations 4.10 says this. Nice women boiled their children and ate them for food. He's saying this was the warfare of ancient, the ancient world. Starve the enemy to death. That's what he's saying. Though the tree should not blossom and I'm, I'm hungry, there's no fruit on the vines to eat, and the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food. This is not, this is not hyperbole. This is, this is pragmatism. The flock be cut off in the fold, and there's no herds in the stall, and I'm slowly starving to death as the enemy is coming on a day of trouble. No matter what, I will yet rejoice in the Lord. This word is not for everybody. You have to have ears to hear what the Lord is saying. Yet I will rejoice. I I will take joy even though faith is under fire. And I can almost sense starvation is definitely going to come. But I will wait on the Lord. I will take joy in spite of the harsh outer realities of coming with nothing can change it because it's God's will, there is a quite inner peace of joy knowing God is in his holy temple in full control of all things. Please don't miss it. Do you know if believers understood this, if we all grasp it in a greater way, do you know how easy life would be? you know how sweet life would be understanding that even the day of troubles and the control of God how can it be how can you go through the worst of times but have the greatest of joy how, who can say that what religion is going to tell you the worst of times bring the greatest of joy you see this is how it works are you ready you want to know how you can go through life and all its challenges and have this joy. Do you want this? Can you want me to explain it to you? Don't let anybody jump up and down. <laughs> it's because God revealed to Habakkuk the big picture. It's bigger than your personal life. It's bigger than my personal life. It's bigger than American politics. It's bigger than this nation's election coming up. The big narrative is in full control of God and when you get caught up into the big picture which all preaching and teaching should do we should enter in and be raptured up into plan of redemption and not felt needs all the time God will meet our felt needs but it's bigger than our life can you say God's kingdom say it is bigger than my life when you understand that you can have joy in the worst of times that's what he's going through I want that. I want that. 
I wish I could tell you I had it perfectly. God only knows I'm preparing this lesson. I'm going, but, but God, I fail. I mean, I ain't got it. I've tasted it. I've touched upon it. I pray for it. I know it's real. I know it. I've seen it. Me and my wife have gone through challenging times and had great joy. But it's something like you just don't wake up in the morning saying, bring trouble upon me, Lord. Can't wait for the day of trouble. And there's a reason. You know what the reason is? And I'll tell you right now. Besides that Habakkuk knew the big picture, God only gives you this grace when you need it. Only when you need it. That's when you get it. On the eve of destruction is when God gave it to him. He's living in the big picture, the the mega narrative. Listen to how 1 Peter says concerning Jesus. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When Jesus suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We didn't get that up there, Jackie? All right, don't worry about it. 1 Peter 2.23. The point is, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels, remember? Twelve legions of angels he could have called down. Jesus could have set up the judgment seat right there in the temple. He chose not to. Though he was handed over and crucified by sinners, though he was the sinless man, the Son of God, with all divine power, to bring all just retribution immediately, he entrusted himself in the bigger mega narrative of him who judges justly. Jesus knows that God will have his day in court. Are you with me? Amen. And this is the result. Verse 19. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. You see, God made Habakkuk's in a man, not us. The pastor can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. Your husband can't do it for you. Your child cannot do it for you. A thousand ministers, a thousand priests, the Pope can't give it to you. Mary can't give it to you. Understand, only God can make a man of iron like this, stable and sure. And the metaphor we have here of a deer on high places used, it's really not, not the deers we see bouncing around a little one. He's talking about the rams and the high places and the mountaintops on the rocky places that jump up and down on mountains that can't, nothing else can survive. And they're running around because they got stable feet adapted for difficult situations. And that's what God does to us. He gives us that kind of faith. He gets us to a place to have feet like hinds feet and run in high places and be stable in difficult times. Who doesn't want that? I want that. And God and God alone can give it to each and every one of us. He's taken the trials in your life and the trials in your life and the trials in your life. He knows the circumstances of your life. He knows your home life, your emotional life, your mind life. He knows your financial life. He knows your health life. There's nothing he doesn't know. And he uses everything in his power to make this kind of faith. Let's hear the report and fear. Couple of words of application. One second. I can preach on this for another hour. I'll spare you. I will spare you. You know why it excites me? Let me give you a moment of excitement, okay? 
This is when I get up on my studies and I do my happy dance in the house. See, only Terry sees that once in a while. I do the happy dance. I look like I'm a nun. Because I'm hearing the report of him. And my heart's rejoicing and I'm happy. Because it puts, it puts skin and bones on our life. Life is hard. This is where my life is found. I, I found I'm in the crossroads. You feel like the day of trouble is there. You're looking around and things are hard and there's destruction and there's calamity and there's corruption and there's abuse and there's sin and people treat the gospel like it's anything you want it to be. Just sign the check and God delivers and you hear it over and over. It drives me mad. But then I read this and I'm saying God's in full control. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I do my happy dance. Application one. How would you rate yourself or how would we rate ourselves on hearing God's report? How do we hear the preaching of the gospel? How do we hear an explanation? When the minister says, open up the Leviticus, it's like, oh, Leviticus. Go home and study numbers. Oh, numbers. Some boring text or something. But understand something. That's a report about the power and wisdom and controlling sovereignty of God. When we hear the word preach, how do we hear it? Is it changing us? Is it transforming us? What kind of ears of faith are we really hearing the word of God preached with? There's a hint. Sure, you want to hear it? I got a self-evaluating test for you. I had to do it myself. I won't give you my report. How do you handle bad news? How do you handle bad news? Well, no, I'm just asking you personally. Do you hear it with the eyes of faith? Do you hear it with the ears of faith? Do you hear that God's in full control? I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what the financial report said. I don't care what they said. I don't care what this one says. How do we handle bad news? Do we handle it the way... Habakkuk heard it. Even on the day of trouble, I'm waiting for the day of trouble. I heard the bad news. But yet I will quietly, rejoicing, wait upon the Lord who's in his holy temple. And from now on, I'm not going to say God's on the throne unless I mean God is on the throne. How do we hear bad news? How do we handle the worst of times and the worst of reports? Number two. How do we respond to the fact of a coming judgment, eternal hell, and not share our faith with others? How do we not pray for the unsaved? How do we live with ourselves? How do we look at ourselves in the mirror? Now, please understand, this is not a guilt trip, because that moves nothing. It's all grace. Don't think that I am the one running around telling every soul about eternal self, uh, uh, destruction you need to be saved. My heart is to tell everybody I come into contact with. But we need God to do this. We need God graciously to move upon our hearts. Understand something. Acts teaches us that they prayed because of fear and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word in power.
the implication is that they needed more of God to speak the word in power. That's why he gave it. We were sharing on Thursday night. You know, Friday is my greatest day to witness. If God's going to give me a sinner, give it to me on Friday. Because if we pray on Thursday and Friday, I don't care. I don't. There's something about me. I'm elevated to a place I don't care. And I talk to everybody about the Lord. Friday is my best witnessing day. Why? Because Thursday nights we pray. Number three. Can we foresee the worst and really hurt as Habakkuk did? Our our lips quiver and our bones feel rottenness. Can we really feel that but still experience the best of God? Have you gone through hard times and still said, no, I'm quietly going to rejoice in the Lord. I heard the report. Enough's enough. I don't need to hear it again and again and again and again. I heard the report of God. Are we getting better with that? We can go up and down. Everything's up and down in the life of faith. Number four. I'll close with this. Many times, I don't want nobody to miss this. Don't, please don't, my double negatives. Don't miss this. There are times in life and circumstances in life, hard times we all go through, that the only answer is the mega narrative. How, this is what I mean. I can be counseling somebody, and I've gone through counseling rape victims, incest, physical abuse, horrors, innocent people. And you sit there and you're dying on the inside. You're dying. You're dying. It's at that time you've got to slowly bring someone in and bring them into the big narrative that one day God will judge everything. It's the only answer. Personal little stories, trying to make people feel good in tough situations. These anecdotal, little like, you know, amusing stories like the Reader's Digest to try to make it feel like the angels are around you. And, you know, they're all up in heaven now looking over us. And it's, that, 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 that superstitious drives me mad. Sometimes you've got to look someone in the face like God did to Habakkuk and said you have to wait for the day of judgment. It's the only answer. Habakkuk quietly waited for the day of trouble to come on his invaders. Do you know what most likely happened to this man? Most likely, he starved to death. Read the book of Lamentations. Read the book of Daniel, first two chapters. And you will see a horror take place before you. And it says only a few made it out. Everybody else was killed by the sword or starvation. The book of Daniel was written about this time after the invasion. Daniel was taken into captivity. Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego were taken into captivity. All the young men, the princes, the educated people that could help Babylon, help Nebuchadnezzar, they were brought into exile. Everybody else was slaughtered. Everybody. Maybe Ezekiel, maybe Jeremiah got away. But here's the point. 
There are times in Christian life that the only answer, you got to wait for God to take care of it. You can't try to make people feel good with half-truths. And I've seen this. I've seen this. I had to stand in a service one day where someone's child got killed, got murdered. And the pastor took it upon himself to try to comfort everybody by saying Satan got in and God wasn't there. And, and, he, and what happened, though, it could have bring some comfort for the day. In the long run, you kill that person by taking away the sovereignty of God. I'd rather be under covering of the sovereignty of God in all the troubles of life. And knowing that one day every wrong will be corrected, than to hear some false stories, some false theology to try to make me feel good for an hour. Give me the truth. Let it set me free. Though I cry, though my lips quiver, I will still quietly wait for God. Are you with me? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your report. In your report, your word, do we fear, God? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We heard the report that God so hated sin that he gave his only begotten son. That God does not rejoice in the dying, but in the living That he gave his only begotten son. That every human being has fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But God sent his only son. We've heard the report, Father God. Let us stand to attention. Capture our hearts again. Revive your work again. Show mercy in the day of judgment, Father God. Raise up your church and speak life into your church, I ask, Father God. Shake us out of our indifference, out of our slumber, Father God. Shake us, Father God, out of a lethargy, Father God. We who think we're alive, but yet we're dead. And you stand at the door and you knock in. Forgive us, Father God. Forgive us for dull hearing. An even duller heart. Forgive us of our murmuring and complaining, Father God. God, I ask you to prepare Brian Martin and Sonship Ministries for eventually the day of trouble that will come upon this land in Jesus' name.